I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the OMG MotoGP podcast with former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewitt and myself, Harry Benjamin. Please do make sure you've liked, subscribed uh, and reviewed uh, whether you're watching us on YouTube or uh, listening to us wherever you get your podcast. It's much appreciated. And if you have a question, query or comment, we always love hearing from you. You can send us a 30 second voice note over email or just send us a normal email. It's omgmotogp at gmail.com. Uh, and it's race week ahead of the Catalan Grand Prix. The recording date is Monday the 28th august and this week we're very pleased to be joined by the MotoGP technical director danny aldridge danny welcome to the show thank you so much for taking the time uh, during race week uh, well, when do you fly out there uh tomorrow morning i've got 11 o'clock flight out to barcelona tomorrow so today just doing a little bit of work and speed as you guys and then off tomorrow yeah you look a little bit too relaxed for the start of uh, the catalonia round i've got to say for the moment danny i mean you Mind you, you are only 19 and you're struggling a bit. I can see that from here. <laughs> the pressure. Yeah, it's, it's like most riders. We always lie about our age, don't we? We never tell the truth about our age. So, yes. Hands yeah. up. That's the idea. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah I've well, seen Keith turned 80 last week. Can you believe it? You've seen all the passports. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yes, yeah, you won me on his birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was very I'll... lucky that he ran me on his birthday. I felt very honoured. I think what we need to oh. do is go through... Um, really briefly your role and the way that the rules are made and the way that these are implemented and the timescales that go with them if we can just to get this one out of the way because there will be a lot of people that's watching and listening that perhaps they hear about the technical director we always complain about the rules there's journalists that that have their spats with you when you won't give them what they want or, or they can't see what they think they should be able to see and all of this you're sort of mired in the middle of it all um fencing from all sides yeah um it, it must be quite a difficult position to be in but just give us a, a, a brief on what your role is in MotoGP and what power you have honestly my main power is just to control the current rules what's in the yellow book now basically that's what my job is to make sure everyone adheres to the technical side of it Obviously, the rule book has a sporting side thankfully that's nothing to do with me but from the technical side I just need to make sure all the teams, manufacturers that apply it to the rules, really, like a police room. Basically, I'm the police of the, of the paddock. Do you have any uh, input that, but, into the rules themselves at any stage? I mean, do, do the do the teams, obviously the teams make the rules. Well, not obviously, but they do make the rules. I mean, is that a bone of contention as far as you're concerned? Does that, does that crush any kind of development that you would like to see? 
or that you would not like to see? I mean, we can be work both ways. I mean, there can, can be some things that turn up yeah. that they've they've sanctioned that you would prefer not to have in MotoGP, perhaps. We, we as the organisers, can, can uh, propose any rule change. We can do that. We can submit it to the GPC, which is the Grand Prix Commission, which is obviously uh, Erta, Dorna, FIM, and the MSMA, the manufacturers. Uh and I can make proposals weekend, every week if I want to, but it has to be approved by all those parties. Uh, so the rules can be written by anyone. Any of those groups can propose a rule change, and then we have to go through that process of voting yes or no. Uh, from the technical side, any rule change, the manufacturers, the MSMA, must unanimously agree to that change. If it's little things, it's not so bad. Big things, they can take years to get through, to be honest, because one manufacturer thinks, hmm, this rule change is actually not good for us because we have that little bit of advantage, so we will say no. And unless the MSMA or the five manufacturers now agree to it unanimously, it won't go through. Uh, the next big update is 27. I don't know if everybody knows this. We It's normally five-year periods of the main rules, like engine capacity, fuel, everything like that, it's normally every five years. The next one is coming 27. So we're talking now about the changes for 27. It's a long way away, but it soon comes up. Let's talk about why and who will have instigated this unanimous situation because, of course, when you've got unanimous, you can't always make a unanimous decision. It, it yeah. crushes, you know, almost you, you want a majority type situation to, to, to get rules through. Who actually made that up in the first place? Who was the instigator? Who was the rule maker of the rules? Oh, this is going back, to be honest, before my time. It's part of the MSMA uh, stature for quite a while. Or with or the agreement they have with the MSMA that the of the us, the GPC, will say, okay, we won't put anything through unless it's agreed by all manufacturers. And that's what they wanted. When this was introduced, I honestly don't know, Keith, because before I was technical director, so it's been it's been that way for quite a while. Uh, we had it recently, you know, with the uh, some ride height device, which was now obviously uh, not allowed, but because it wasn't unanimous, we did it the following year, which was the agreement. So they had a one-year grace where they could be used, and then obviously this year it's been banned that side of it but uh you always see it's very hard to get things pushed through major things pushed through if one manufacturer says no and that tends to be the case unfortunately sadly sometimes uh they obviously look at what's better for them than their competitors which is normal competition i guess so so what about the the, the usual sort of catch-all damnation of dorna um, Dorna being the overarching promoters, the owners of the sport, effectively. I mean, every, they get accused of all sorts of things. Um, they don't have any uh, major input into the, the rules, other than suggestions, I would assume, like you, like Erta, like the FIM. But they can't control yeah. the rules in any way. No, not at all. No, no. It's, there's a, there's a, it's a strict guidelines of rules we have to, uh, to abide by. There's a GPC that all parties must agree to those rule changes, yeah. So if it's a safety thing, there's two. If it's a safety thing, yes, then we can normally push it through without any problems. But if it's just a normal rule change, now we all have to agree. What's the time scale on this kind of stuff? I mean, you've, you've mentioned every five years, we've got the big stuff gets changed every five years. I mean, where's the cutoff point where the suggestion uh, is made? Because obviously five years might be where, where it's instigated, but where is the period, you know, is it four years? Is it three years prior that they've got to get that suggestion in that, that engineering process into place? 
it's normally about three years. So like I say, we're now, or the manufacturers, and this is mainly Corrado's area because he's the, the director of technology. He's now talking to all the manufacturers about 27. So now we're talking in 23, about 27. So it's that period. It takes a long, long, long time. Uh, especially obviously with the bikes is to change a bike, you know, develop a bike is two or three years down the line. So they're, they're talking about that now. So yeah, it, some things can actually happen really quickly if they all agree. If it's not a big change, uh, like software and stuff like that, if they're happy, we can do it very quickly. Other things, aero, as we said, is, is a big, big issue. Uh, engines and tires and everything like that, it does take a while. But uh, it, it varies from case to case. Interesting you mentioned tires there because they seem to have a, their own set of rules for, for what they bring and do and, uh, and don't do. I mean, and it is a major issue at the moment, and I want to get into that if I can quite briefly because it's quite boring but it is a, such a major thing and we hear so much contention about it but are michelin or whoever is the the tire supplier do they have some autonomy are they able to do whatever they want to do because they think they should do it or or do the manufacturers and you guys have some kind of say in that as well uh we we have a say but we have to rely on our expertise they're they're the guys that make the tires they understand the tires better than anybody and let's be honest they want to build the best tyre they can for the championship. And obviously, because it's commercial reasons. So they're not going to build anything that's no good because that gets out. It doesn't help them in the commercial side of things for selling tyres to the public. So he's down to, to Michelin, the official tyre supplier, but they're working very, very hard. I know that. And it's not an easy thing because, you know, Keith is a racer. The last thing that touches the tarmac is the tyre. So you could have the most powerful engine, and if the tyre is no good, it's just, they're, they're always trying to keep up, and this is very hard for them to do that. Uh, and, and it's very easy, no disrespect to the riders, is to, to blame, it's the tyre, it's the tyre, that's the problem. Uh, if, they're having a, if they're having an issue or something like that. But I think, I, I, I work lovely very closely with Mitchell, as we all do, and I think they do an amazing job for the championship, for me. I can't, I can't. Last thing it touch. The last thing that touched the tarmac in my day was me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> elbow followed by backside followed by helmet. Um, yeah, let, yeah. I mean, okay, joking aside, um, but it's the tire manufacturer that could find themselves with, with, with making the restrictions to, to that wonderful dilemma that everyone has in the rule market making department. Bikes are too fast now. Um, they're going too quick into a yes. corner. They're getting off the corners too quick. The tracks are getting smaller, therefore. You know, this must be a yeah. major headache that you guys are all having to try and get a set of rules yeah. in place where MotoGP bikes are not too fast for the tracks we go to. The other side to that coin is, it's the bloody production bikes in World Superbikes. If you slow the MotoGP bikes down too much, they're going to be as, as slow as a modified production road yeah. bike. Um, and that really can't yeah. happen in a prototype series. No, this is this is the dilemma that only Dorna have and we have, because only Dorna have both championships and it's trying to do the same in both championships. So yes, motor GP should be the pinnacle. It should be the fastest. So if we can slow ours down, we need to slow world superbikes down a little bit because you said you don't want world superbikes putting faster lap times than ours because people like HRC come to this championship to develop. Uh, otherwise if we, if we don't allow them to develop, they don't get the budget and then they disappear from the championship. Uh, it's the same with all the manufacturers. So. <laughs> We, it's that fine line of keeping uh, development at a reasonable pace that is not too dangerous. 
Uh, as you say, like we go into the tyres, is that to slow the bike down, yes, you can make the tyres a little bit harder, but then they're going to crash because they're pushing too hard. And it's the tyres' fault. It's not true. It's the bikes are getting quicker and the tyres are trying to catch up with that side mm. of it. But I think we we are looking at ways to to make it the bike slower, safely, uh, but not spoil the show. That's the biggest thing as well. It's just that balance. While we're on the subject. Well, that's what Scott Smart said last week, didn't he? He said, you know, we can slow things down, but that doesn't necessarily ruin the show, does it? Because yeah. at the end well, of the day, we want we want entertainment as well, and we want to yeah. see good wheel-to-wheel races. Yeah. That doesn't have to be the fastest no. they could possibly go. That could actually ruin the show a little bit. Well, I, I you see, I, yeah. I have a real... I have a real problem with that, and I, I'm sure Danny will do as well as as we've been in it such a long time. I mean, Grand Prix should be the like we've already said, Danny, the pinnacle of what we're seeing, and slowing down everything. You know, you slow down Grand Prix bikes, you slow down World Superbikes, you slow down BSB bikes or, or Moto America bikes, and and that's almost like a fight to the bottom, which which I, I struggle with a little bit. I, I, I have no, I have no clue or indication of how you can get over that problem <clears throat> but it but it nah. is a problem and we will lose great racetracks in the not too you know we just Good. had bsb on at the weekend at cadwell park i love cadwell park you love cadwell park danny i know that you know it's, yeah. it's what we all cut our teeth on it's where i first met your dad dan was cadwell park in yeah. the rodney <laughs> in horncastle in the pub <laughs> right. And that was a race day. <laughs> but you you have a place yeah. like Cadwell Park. I mean, if you could have a Grand Prix at Cadwell Park, it would be absolutely mega. You're never going to have because it's a goat track. No. Um, but it, yeah. And that's the problem is, is as these as, as motorcycle racing uh, evolves, and especially when we're sharing tracks as well with Formula One to some extent. You know, you've you've got you've got that that snag that comes on there too. Um, well, have you seen these great big sort of things they've added at, at Jerez uh, on on the on the side of the, the sort of the curb? They're sort of really juttering out to try and stop um, track limits. Well, they're dangerous they're, they're, to one point. The big serrations that they what you're talking about, like the, the crocodile teeth that are on the edge of the yeah yeah, well, that's just yeah. to get the vibration going, and and that from a bike point of yeah. view is a problem. Yeah, I think that well, could I think have, from a car point of view as well, Mazzano it's like a bit of a problem. Because I think they originated in Mazzano. I don't actually get involved in that side, but I believe they're called the Mazzano Curve. Mm. And they're appearing more and more racetracks okay. because the idea is obviously is that they look severe, shall we say, but the, the idea is obviously so you don't get an advantage of it. So if you go on then, you have to roll the throttle, you lose time. So And and you don't have to worry about track limits, unfortunately. So uh, yeah. it's hard. And I say, safety is the biggest thing. Is as Keith knows, the old days. Even look at, unfortunately, Cadwell. He's obviously Stuart Hicks runs a mat, um, amazing championship, and I was watching it yesterday. Uh, is but he looks so narrow to me, and there is no runoff whatsoever. You, you it's, it's either racetrack or grass. Uh, and what we're trying to do is obviously we've gone away from grass. It's caused the other problem is that they're running off the track and getting more speed. Unfortunately, so it's that fine line. I'm I'm interested to know, Danny, just on maybe more of a broader note. Um, it's obviously the Catalan Grand Prix this weekend, and you said you know you you're, you're flying out tomorrow and you're you're yeah. preparing, doing a bit of work today. What are you actually doing? What 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 are you doing in the build up to to flying out to a Grand Prix? Uh, just preparing everything. Obviously, 
just getting all the paperwork ready. Because you were allowed a lot to say. Of like, yeah, it's mainly paperwork, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, uh, one of the things we do on obviously, Wednesday when I arrive is we have the, strange enough, we talk about the Motor GP lottery, the tyre lottery. And it's always been so it's quite funny. Uh, it was always that, how do we allocate tyres? And there's, the championship now is so professional that they're always worried about every little thing. So we literally have the teams turn up on, on Wednesday, come into my office and they pick their tyres. It's literally like that. They put their hand in the bag, they take a disc out and the tyres are pre, pre-allocated. So there's no talk about someone getting special tyres or anything like that. So we, a lot of it's just paperwork, preparing stuff and answering emails. But, uh, and talking to people. Glamorous. Really. I was going yeah, to say, it's every, not a portrait. every time there's a problem, every time there's something going on, I'm on, I'm on the phone to you and I'm, and, and I'm just the yeah. tiniest cog in your wheel. I can imagine yeah. that you're getting calls from teams and manufacturers all of the time trying to float ideas through yeah. you. I mean, the manipulation of your position. I mean, it, it, do, you, do you find that, that, that there, there's kind of guys that have got an ulterior motive? They're all, they're all trying to just get that extra little just trying to see if they can get something past you is is that a regular occurrence that's happens 24 7 to be honest that's their <laughs> job that's what they it's what they're paid for and and i think that's i'm always trying to get like i'm always trying to catch up games trying to think what they're thinking and and all the time they it's worse when they they send you a uh a, they email you said okay what's your opinion on this and you have to be very careful and stuff like that but uh, I'm working obviously, obviously not just MotoGP obviously I have the same situation with Moto2 Moto3 Moto E. I'm not the technical director for all four classes so it's just not MotoGP I'm, I'm busy through all the classes but MotoGP is the one that you have to be uh, a bit more awake shall we say and obviously aero package now they've only had one upgrade each but that's four areas so it's, you see a lot of things change now and everything and for me, the, the worst thing is is having rules because rules open doors. It's a really strange thing to say. Is if, if you have a rule, they tend to find a way around it. The less rules you have, it's easy to control. Strangely enough, so uh, from that side of it, you say you're you're like the policeman. Do you have a big enough team? Do you need a Do you need a few more troops? It would be helpful. Are yeah, you volunteering? Yeah, yeah. Everybody would want more people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely not yeah, volunteering is- for that job. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I obviously I'm a sort of the the, the, the official technical driver championship, but obviously I have a lot of input from people, Corrado, uh, Dawn, Erta, which we all talk. It's, it's not only my decision. If if something I'm not happy with, I'm not sure about, we will talk about it as a championship, and then I make and then obviously from that communication, I will make my decision, whatever it be, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, Talk, talking of not happy. Um... I'm guessing that you wouldn't have been happy with some of the the, the occasional press that um, you guys get. Um, you know, you had last year Matt Oxy came up with the the the, the non um, story of the year. I, I felt anyway. There was a, a sheet of paper that all you while you were developing this new tire pressure guide or whatever it is, everybody was volunteering their information, their input with the systems that they were running at the time for measuring um, tire pressures, which has become a major issue since it's so critical to get it right and then this year you're running this new software that presumably is now up and running and is working reasonably well but sometimes you're accused of being a little bit too secretive 
Yes, this this like I say, I I know if recently there's been some reports about uh, people being, so you say, manhandled out of technical, which unfortunately is not true. It's I have to respect the manufacturers. I have to make sure anything I do is kept secret. Uh, and even in technical control, at the end of the qualifying of the race, we would have a certain amount of bikes in that area, and I would carry out whatever I need to do. It could be, as you say, tire pressures fuel capacity of the weight, noise, data downloads. And I it's to me it's a secure area and I don't let any photography in there. And it's not hiding anything, it's that respect. But for example, if we obviously I can the the, the capacity for motor GP in the main race is twenty two liters and I regularly check the the fuel capacity of the tanks just to make sure it's correct. Now the I would not allow anyone in that pit box because of the the tank comes off the bike is exposed so what would happen was we i would remove everybody from that pit box and carry out the test uh in a secure area now it's not i'm not hiding anything it's just being i think the professional way of doing the job uh and, and i i spoke to keith about this in the past the gearboxes is a it's a big a big thing and the secrecy of the gearbox now these seamless gearboxes is amazing and even the the the, the normal mechanics in a in the one in the teams don't see them they literally be moved from the bike. They go into the uh, engineer's truck of that manufactured, and they worked on there. So if I was going to do a uh, a check on that gearbox, it's done in their in their in their truck. It's not done in my technical. It's controlled because I'm there, but it's secret, uh, and I have to respect that. And that's why I try to do in technical. I don't allow anyone to go in there. I don't allow photography. Uh, I'm sure they do in most championships. You would never see a. a a, a Camry side technical at all. I tell you what, we were talking the other week about um, buying talent as far as swapping mechanics and yeah. technicians from team to team. You remember when KTM came up, they sucked half of Repsol Honda out of the garage over to their side of things. Imagine how much Danny is worth with all the secrets you've got tucked away. <laughs> um, joking aside again, um, data downloads, you just touched on that just then. Out of yeah. all the things that we can physically yeah. see, touch and look at, Data downloads. Have you got access to all the information that you need, or would you like to have more of that to make the decisions that you make? Um, and I'm moving towards more race direction, I suppose. Here, do they yeah. have the the stewards and the like? Do they have the kind of data downloading that they need to make the decisions that they make when it comes to a critical maneuver on track or whatever it might be? Not lie we don't have that i know if you, if you, if you take formula one into into this case formula one i think they i believe they get everything everything's live all the data is streamed to the fia straight away from the races we don't have that i can download anything at the end of the qualifier session or the race or any session i can pull that bike in i can download that data it's in the rule book i can analyze the information i need to to, to check uh after that i have to delete it uh, I don't store any data on my laptop at all. So I do delete everything in front of the manufacturer, but I have the right to download any information yeah. as or when I need it. Under their presence, shall we say, so they're there. Uh, it, this, the, 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 strange, the, the strange thing is, is that obviously in, in the yellow book, it says only I'm allowed on my laptop to do this. Uh, a, few, a few years ago, about seven, eight years ago, I had to uh, leave a Grand Prix and on race day, no one could download the uh, data because it was in, the the laptop was only accessible by my finger. Uh, 
because it was a fingerprinted laptop that they needed my finger to actually open it and no one could do that. So, yes, it was a little bit like that. That, that could have led to an awful situation. You're going to yeah, cut your yeah, finger off and leave it. Yeah. Yeah. I, we Very little, Mission Impossible. Yeah. We were a little bit more, I would say stricter. I think the manufacturers are a little bit more worried than, say, the FIA in Formula One. They, it's a case of you're coming to this championship, we will take everything. Uh, where we can download it, but I do not store anything. What's the advantage? The only I mean, thing when you, what, what, can, what can you see um, when you download stuff? What are you looking for in 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 that instance? Uh, it depends on what you. If you're talking, if it's the technical side, obviously we compare the software software versions. We make sure that obviously we only allow a certain amount of software versions they can use. Only from that version they can make their calibration changes. Uh, the IMU, we can check the, uh, the the spec of the IMU, uh, anything like that. Now, obviously, now obviously with the tire pressures, we are just starting to go live with that, and that's one of the only things we now get live, or we will have live, uh, is the actual the tire pressures. But uh, from the software, I can download anything I want, but normally it's just a version of the software to make sure they've not made anything wrong. Has Mailbox got a direct line into your um, your tire software? <laughs> no, no one has. <laughs> Hope you're listed, okay. Oxo. Hope you're listed. <laughs> no, I gotta say, I I always try to be open with, it, with any journalist or anything like that. So I'm always happy to tell him what I can. Do you know, legally, it is a problem, isn't it? Because I mean, we've got some. I mean, I'm taking the Mickey out of Matt Oxley, of course, because I've known him since he was a boy, virtually. But uh, Oxo is one of the best journalists there are in the paddock. But he does he does tend to, like many journalists, spin off in a particular tangent if he's got a, you know a bone between his teeth. Um, but it's hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Kind of like... We're lucky in motorcycle racing that we've got some really good, dedicated journalists that are forever trying to get that information out. I know they're all friendly in the paddock. Everybody gets on in pretty much in the paddock. There are one or two that don't, but most mostly they do. I mean, but it's a, it's almost a conflict with you because they have to be, because they have to try and find out. And basically, we, I'll include us in this, we're constantly there to try and drop you in it. <laughs> yes. It's yeah, our job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I actually had one, when... one, one journal. <laughs> it's part of the job. I understand. In the day, a journalist is there is to sell their stories. And let's be honest, bad stories sell better than good stories. Uh, I had the conversation with a journalist on the grid the other day, again, about his tire pressures. 
And she said, oh, why don't you tell us the tire pressures are okay? I said, well, I'm sure that's, that that means nothing to you. He's, I, I will make a report on anything to the FIM stewards if something is wrong. I don't make a report, everything is okay. It's only if there's a problem. Now, if, if every week I did a pressure relief, unbelievable, great news, tire pressures are good. You get bored with that. You want to know when there <laughs> someone has a problem, not when someone's okay. This is normal. So when someone does have a problem or you spot a problem or you think there might be an issue with something, whether that's error-related or, or whatever it is to do with the bike, what what are the steps that you take to then to then find out, to identify that problem? Say you're not happy with, with one of the bike's ride height devices or, or something of that ilk. What do you do? What are the steps you do to, to solve that, that problem or to find out? Uh, I've done me, it's not a case of solving it. If a bike would come into technical control, if you take the ride height device, it, and if I find it's something that's not legal within the wording of the rule book, uh, I would then basically impound that part. So the bike or, or the part of the bike would necessarily, I would then make a report to the FIM stewards on my findings and then pass that over to the FIM stewards and obviously there would be a hearing and obviously the team or manufacturer can obviously be present at hearing and they would make their decision from that. There's obviously, that's that side when I find something, but there's also the side if a team manufacturer make a protest. If they protest someone, then obviously I would do the same thing, basically make my report on the part they're protesting and then would give my opinion if it's legal or not and pass that over the FIM steward. So I would literally just make a report. That's all right. Interesting that um, I, I'm interested to, to, to know whether the, the manufacturers actually fall out personally over some of these things. I mean, I'm thinking back to the Aprilia situation with the, the you know, and Yamaha when Gigi had got the scoop, the, the first of the rear wheel aero situation going back a couple of years now. Um, and everyone was unhappy about it. I mean, the daft thing about it was Yamaha really kicked that off because they, they had one there that was a, a rain deflector, if I remember rightly, first. I think they had the, the first scoop and then then along comes Gigi and thinks, oh, we can make a bit of aero out of this. And how did you handle that? Because it was such a grey area at the time. Did you have to tighten the whole rule book up after that? Was it a case of all of a sudden you really had to start start thinking out of the box a little bit to make it work? Well, that's why when the rules changed, the aero rules changed after that period, because then we obviously used to be the aero package was literally the fender and the main aero body. Now we have area A, which is basically where the scoop is, and others, which are the full carry. And you can see like the Aprilia now and Ducati have these full side pods on, uh, and they're governed under other. Uh, and, but then if you look at the rear seats, you see like some of these have like these dragon fins on the back of the rear seat. And again, when we started writing the aero rules, few years ago with Grada, uh, we spoke all about the rear seat. We said, and we made a sort of a, 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 a dimensional area where anything in that we don't control. We didn't think it was to be an issue. An issue. Uh, and how wrong were we? So they obviously now started to uh, add things to the back seat. So it's just there being very clever. Like with the scoop, as you say, it was a, a big story many, many years ago with this. And interpretation of was it aero or was it cooling the tires uh and it, honestly it was probably probably a little bit of both because later on a few years down the line i had a couple of manufacturers come into my office where they were using them so and it was when they were homologated so they couldn't take them off 
there's part of the rules where if you had them, you had to keep them on. Uh, and they said to me, oh, we have a problem for safety. They're calling our tyre too much. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Two years ago, you were saying they're not calling tyres. And now you want to remove them because you stay outside. What about, it's, it's, I mean, aero is always going to be contentious. I mean, like, I think Scott's, yep. Scott Smart's um, diagnosis of the aero problem was is if he's got a fare in his aero, that's all there is to it, was, was yep. the way he looked at it. Yeah. So, moving that to, to the nth degree, um, do you control clothing, helmets, um, because obviously they can become aero in some way, shape or form. I mean, we've, we've seen it in the cars with, with, you know, the whatever that was, the aero hole in the bodywork yeah. that they could use a glove to block it and it gives it, gives it more downforce or something. Uh, I mean, do you yeah. control clothing as well? We do, actually. We made a rule a couple of years ago, I think it was last year, actually, that they can't have aero parts on the, on the levers, gloves, or boots. The only thing we don't have it on, strange enough, is the helmet, because at the time, they, obviously, they had the scoop at the back already. So a lot of them have that. So we saw, and the, the helmets now have to be FIM approved, and that goes through a laboratory in Aragon where they test it. I, but I don't even even notice, even now, uh, Alpine Stars have actually got a little bit of a on the side of their ones, they have like a little skink there. And that's a new thing. But uh, we do govern, obviously, the boots, gloves, and suits, but not helmet, yeah. You you said yeah. you said at the start, um, all of this is obviously you're monitoring the current situation, but then you're looking ahead as well to, to the next big changes, which uh, you said was 2027, right? Um, so what, what, what could you tell us? What are, what are, you, what are we going to see? In 2027, I know it's a bit ahead, but I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. Can you not say anything? Uh, you might as well have asked me that know. question, Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly, I, I, it wouldn't be correct me to say what we're talking. We're looking at everything, with, and I'm talking about from engines to aero body to the whole package of the bike. So. It's not one particular area. They want to tighten everything up. And uh, it's so I honestly, nothing's been agreed. And I wouldn't want to say something to upset anybody. So it's been discussed. But yeah. I'll tell you, it's, it was it's quite interesting. And something yeah. that brought it into sharp focus for me this week, Danny, and I know that you'll be across this as well. Cito Pons is finally packing it in after 42 odd years, double world champion back on 250s back in the, the early 80s, in fact, late 80s. Um, I mean, what teams have gone through, the evolution of the teams from the 80s when we all thought we knew what we were on about to where we are now is slightly scary. Do you think, when you look around the paddock, I mean, you're you're just, what are you now? You're just about in your 50s, I think, aren't you, Danny? I mean, and you've seen a lot, but there are a lot I of guys. You, that, yes, yes. There are a lot of guys that are in the paddock that are kind of my age. You know, I'm a generation... Yeah maybe two further on and there's there's going to be a yeah. lot at some stage in the not too distant future that paddock is going to have a big shift it's going to be because you know most of the older guys are going to be moving out of there is there a, a, a yeah a, from from where you're looking is there a, a a real new breed of you know males females you know technicians youngsters coming through that you can see from where your point is Oh, definitely, definitely now. What you tend to see is from 
no respect to you, Kevin. But in then in your days, you didn't have data technicians. There was no data, so it was basically the mechanic came up and obviously become the crew chief. Now what you tend to find is a lot of the data guys and young guys, and I'm talking male or females, there's some very good data females in the paddock doing a great job. Uh, and they're the ones that tend to become their crew chiefs because they understand the setup of the bike a lot more. And this is where we say the young blood that's moving up. Uh, the more experienced crew chiefs are, have been there for many years. Uh, and when they do tend to uh, retire or whatever and a crew chief comes up it tends to be the data guy okay and they're the, they're the, they're the brains of the outfit where are these guys coming from are they coming from the the lower categories that like cv civ stuff like that or are, are they coming from from school from university and, and they're taking it as a vocation uh i think a little bit of both really is you get a lot of guys also coming from people like uh the elect the the ECU manufacturers come in now. Obviously, we have Morelli, we have Delorto, and if quite a few of Morelli guys have moved over to teams and so forth from that side of it. Uh, so it's made a lot of them come from university, move into a team as a data technician, and move up from there. What about insider trading? What about this um, the business where you know, as again, we we dealt with Scott Smart on this one. You know, the, these guys have a value because they've been in a team and they've learned quite a lot. Is there? And I suggested that maybe. You know, contracts are tightened up a bit now for personnel as well, so they can't just keep jumping ship and taking the ideas of one manufacturer to another manufacturer. I mean, have you got levels of security within a manufacturer now to try and negate any of that information drifting across into another manufacturer's domain? I honestly don't know. I mean, I don't get involved with the the uh, the, the staff of the manufacturers. I don't know what their contracts are or anything like that. So. Uh... I'm sure they do. I'm sure they move across. You've got obviously Ken, who was the uh, technical director of Suzuki, moved over to Honda. Uh, so there's obviously they they do punch people, shall we say? Uh, but I I don't know if they have to what information they can take across. I don't. Um, are you still able to be a fan, Danny, of MotoGP? I was never a fan. <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> wait, wait. Because yes, obviously, I I, you mean, know, when I... it becomes your job and, and the nature of yeah. your, your role, you know, I imagine it can be a little bit difficult. Yeah, I you, you have to be a fan. You have to be passionate about the job. But what you can't be is you can't be a super fan. You can't be in awe of anybody mm. or anything like this. To me, everybody's treated the same. Uh, this is the most important thing. You, I say I enjoy what I do. I have a passion for it. But if a rider walks past me, I'm not like teary eyed or anything like that. It's yes, I yeah. don't think that's not good for the for you. Uh, I say I treat the motor three riders the same as I treat a motor GP rider, and the same the teams as well. Most of my dealers are with the teams anyway, teams and the manufacturers. Yeah. So I treat everybody the same, equal. Would you have to? I only get teary eyed when when Keith walks past. Um, that's because no, really he's, in the that's he's yeah. had to buy me a beer. Yes, <laughs> and I must apologise um, for my so throat. It, 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 too many beers last night. <laughs> yeah, yes, Keith was partying yeah. late last night, wasn't he? Um, well, I yeah. mean, with, with as as you know, obviously, with your job and and being a fan, obviously, what have you made of of uh, MotoGP this year so far? You know, it's been quite a, a, a good season, interesting season to watch. Obviously, Ducati have, have kind of dominated a little bit with Pecco Bagnaia. Yeah. We've got the sprint races being introduced. 
How have you found all of that? And of course, Mark Marquez and his future um, all up in the air right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a strange year this year with the way the champions going. The sprint races obviously is a lot more work for us, but that's that's a different subject. But I think it's good for... I think they've actually done a very good job of them. Uh, I think for the fans at the circuit, it's great to have that race on a Saturday. Uh, there's always a concern. It's going to be interesting to see how they pan out now because literally, I, I looked at the camera, we were the 28th of August and we're only halfway through the season. And that is quite a scary thing. We do have... Uh, 10 races to go in the thing about 14 weeks. So it's a very tight fit. So how the people can uh, manage the next 10 races with a sprint and a race and back-to-backs, uh, triple headers and so forth, would be interesting. But it is a, it's been a real strange season with the way the races are panned out. And there's definitely been a difference between the sprint results and the way races. And I think that's down to tyres to be a lot of it. I think the, the KTM's can run the softer tyre a little bit better in the sprint races. But uh, I I was looking at the other day um, the results. I was on a bit more and I saw, looking at Marquez, and I know he's a big story, unfortunately. And I thought he was down in about 16th place at the time. I thought, this is not what they want to be. But he's still less than a second. And this is the big thing to me. He's less than a second. And well, I think a caption come up, I think top 20 within a second, which is... Uh, Amazing for a championship. Amazing, but uh, I've it, I've argued I've argued for some time that we're going to be moving to four decimal places soon in timing. I mean, if, if you want to yeah. if you want to yeah. really take the P, young Ari, is the way to do it. We only used to time to a tenth back in the day, then it went to a hundred, then it went to a thousandth, and we're soon going to be going to a fourth decimal place. I'm absolutely bloody sure of that because we're even getting two and three riders to three decimal places on equal times occasionally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's say that people say that the bikes are not easy. To, I think the bikes are easier to ride uh, with the new aero. I know this is a, a bone of contention with the aero. Is that I think uh, someone who's coming up can get on that bike a lot quicker than they did a few years ago. They and it makes it easier to go faster. Uh, I was speaking to Loris Caparossi recently, and he went on one of the bikes in Magella. I think it was last year. And he said it was just so much easier to ride the aero now. He felt safer, and strangely enough, because it just stuck to the ground. It was not wobbling. He was not out of control. He just he could just ride it hard. Because of, of, of the way things have gone here, Danny, I mean, uh, we, we're moving into the domain of, of, of uh, sensors and the like around the, the tracks to try and make sure that we use those as, 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 a, as a limiter, if you like, to, the, to, to where you can go on the track. It, and most of that, for me, has been down to the fact that across all these different platforms, we're doing almost exactly the same time. So therefore, to give anybody an advantage by running out in the paint or doing whatever they're doing to, to grab a little, tiny bit of an extra advantage needs to be negated through the rules. I mean, how much of a headache is that becoming? I mean, how much extra are Dawn having to provide for, for people to monitor that, to try and give the stewards, the race direction and the like, that the information that they need to keep control of these almost out of control technical track limit type rules. I would say this is say not my department, but I know he's working with probably Mike Webb, Graham, Weber, and the the, the the guys in race control and certain things. The the work that Dawn are doing is amazing. They're they're probably there today laying this cabling on the track limits to make sure it's all correct, uh setting up the cameras and this, this has all come about 
correctly from the safety side of it. Now, as I say, going back to the old days, and you take Cadwell's example, is that it used to be track grass. There was no runoff. Uh, and we're trying to make this track safer so we give more runoff, and it allows the bike to go wide uh, safely. Uh, and then obviously they think, hang on, this is the, this is the fastest way around this corner by doing this. So this is why they now they run this. We've gone from it used to be it's, it's fiber optic now, I believe. I say I don't get hold of it, but it's literally you touch it and it will send a signal and you are track limits. Uh, and it, it, we need it, unfortunately. It's just it's just the way it has to go. But these new curbs that you were talking about, I'm sure they're called the Mazzano curbs. I'm, I could be wrong, but. They're a lot more, if you go on them, they're safe, but you know you're on them and you can't keep the throttle on. Yeah, I, I've come across those, obviously, that they they were the uh, the form of safety limit in the past. But, I mean, as soon as you get those crocodile teeth type serrated curves, you know, you lose traction. Yeah. You know, you try and tap the throttle yes. in across something like that and, and you've got no grip at all and it pings you through the, through the you know, limiters or whatever you might have mm -hmm. there and, and into the sky. I'm not sure I, I, I like crocodile curves or Mizano curves or whatever you want to call them, to be frank with you. I think we've had them before. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, we, if we're going to go back to that, I think I prefer grass. <laughs> yeah. The, the problem is we are, we're using more and more tracks to say this is slightly out of my area of work, but we use a lot more tracks to Formula 1 are, and it's, you've got to have that crossover period where the tracks are the same because... To go to say somewhere or say, okay, you've got to have these curbs and then Formula One go back and you've got to have these curbs. It's not so easy for them to do. So trying to find a compromise that's safe for us and acceptable for Formula One. And I, I know that Tom Tom Aynier from uh, Dorna, he works very closely with the FIA to, to to have some sort of crossover between these championships. Oh, well, I mean, uh, well, this has been a fascinating chat just to find out a little bit more about the insight of what, what you do and, and your thoughts of things. Obviously, it, it is uh, the Catalan Grand Prix this weekend and we are going to be doing a, a little, uh, our extra 15-minute update with a proper preview uh, before the weekend. But um, there is a little bit of news, isn't there, Keith, going into uh, this weekend that literally broke today. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, it's Alex yeah, Rins. Alex Rins, who was scheduled to be riding back again this this weekend. He's um, He's... Ikela Kwona is, is going to be in for him again this weekend. So sad news from that point of view. I mean, the, not unexpected, I've got to say, considering. But the sad news for me, I, I touched on it a moment ago, is Cito Pons, you know, backing out of, you know, eventually out of the team. I mean, I, Cito Pons, when you look at the people that he's gone through, and even even your, yeah, go, Harry, I'll give you one here. Cito Pons, the Formula Renault, he used to sponsor a Formula Renault. He had a Formula Renault team in Spain, and Heike Kaivalainen came through him. If you want to go back to the four no wheel way. stuff, so Cito Pons was a was a world a double world champion at two fifty, which is which is the Moto two equivalent back in the day. Very very fast young man at the at the time, and then he ran five hundred Grand Prix. You know, some really really big names. Caparossi, you mentioned Caparossi earlier. He came through Cito Pons back back in the day as well. And Caparossi now is, is a major part of, of of the infrastructure, if you like, at, at MotoGP. Well, I actually made a quick look. Barros, Biaggi, Bayliss. And I think going through Moto2, didn't Quattararo, I think, came through um, Cito as well at some stage. So we're talking about a man that spent 42, 43 years of his 63 years uh, life uh, in the paddock. He's had his trials and tribulations. You know, there was the big tax scandal thing that's probably still going on in Spain. Who the hell knows? It goes on forever, doesn't it? Where, where you know, the, the, he was, he was, you know, 
had the, the tax authorities had, had a little nibble at him as well. Um, but Cito Pons for me is is part of infrastructure. And I suppose it comes back into what I said a little bit earlier on. At some stage, these older guys are going to roll over. Um, and Cito yeah. is is a big name that won't be with us anymore after this year. He'll be a, for me. He's a big loss in the paddock. Cito. Cito is has always run one of the most professional teams I've worked with. The guys he's had, uh, and he's always had the same guys. I always think that's a nice thing to see. He has the same guys working year on year on. So obviously, let's be honest. That means he's paying the wages. Uh, the team, as I have been, the mechanics do a good job. He's had some real good guys in it. I'm sure he won the championship with Paul Espigaro in Moto 2. Won yeah, any he good. did. I correct that. Uh, and he's not always had the biggest budget. And I know that for a fact. He's not He's not had the biggest budget, but he's always been professional. The, the setup, the team, the bikes are always immaculate. Uh, so he's going to be a loss. Uh, love him or hate Cito. He's a character. The character's going to be missed. One of my earliest memories of Cito is when he used to chase my girlfriend around the paddock. He didn't know she was my girlfriend at the time. And that that happened to be, and then he did find that out. Happens to be the mother of my oldest yeah. daughter. He's going to be a big loss, yeah. I think, to the paddock from, from my perspective, anyway. Yeah, as I say, he's always well, been. Will, uh, he's always been. Be... He's run some good teams, as you know, from the days of the West Honda Camel, obviously. And then obviously recently he's made a two team and everything like that. He's he's definitely uh, the the most one of the most professional teams I think, especially motor two at the moment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's certainly be interesting to see as well the uh, what the atmosphere is like in in the paddock this weekend. And you'll know Keith because you're you're also going out there, aren't you? Oh, when you fly. Yep. Yeah, sorry, Danny, you don't get away with it that easily. <laughs> Danny, look a look of shock there from Danny. <laughs> I will be putting my feet up on your desk in the office to try and get some extra tea. Um, okay. Just that uh, my wife had booked a holiday for Barcelona and um, and uh, neither of us realised that the uh, the Spanish Grand Prix was on at the same time. Yes. <laughs> so I'm yes, very happy yes. to... Strangely. I'll, I'll be seeing you on Friday. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you know where we'll my office inside, is? Get some inside scoops then. Yeah. No good moving yeah. it. I'll find it. Bring your deck chair, Keith, and sit out. Sit out on the Erta deck, uh, and you can uh, you can spot all the all the dealings going on in in the back of the garages. Um, we'll be uh, back on Thursday for a little extra hit of MotoGP news, and looking forward uh, to the weekend proper with the uh, latest rider movements and news, and uh, and see how Keith got on with uh, his travels to Barcelona. Um, but so make sure you're you're tuned in to the ONG MotoGP socials and the YouTube for all the latest. Uh, of all of our podcasts and if you're an audio only listener as well just make sure you're subscribed and you can leave us a little five star review and uh, write something positive down it's always appreciated uh, questions queries comments always welcome the email address is omgmotogp at gmail.com um, Danny Aldridge thank you so much for taking the time it's been so insightful hearing uh, about a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and, and your views on on the future of MotoGP and the, and the now and the current day um, we'll have to get you back on a little later on in the year if, if you're up for it. Yeah, be good. Uh, yeah, good cornered him live on air. There we go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's my pleasure. I look forward everyone to it. heard it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. 
Thank you, Danny. Um, well, look, we shall see you for OMG Extra on uh, Thursday this week. Uh, but for now, from me, Harry Benjamin, uh, from Keith Ewan, and uh, from Danny Aldridge, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.